0: Church you can learn more about who we are and what we believe at our website unionchapelbaptist.org we understand that uh, if you're sick or things going on you can't be with us in person but don't let that stop you from not being actively engaged in the body of Christ seek out other believers we would love for you to join us here in person but if you're if you live far away uh, join a healthy church uh, wherever you're at and we are my prayer is, that we would worship
1: God in spirit and in truth today. Good
0: morning, everyone. My name is Josh Ingan. I serve as a pastor here. Welcome to, to Union Chapel Baptist Church. Uh, we've got a lot of good things going on. I'm really excited about this Wednesday. We're going to have homemade ice cream social. So come for that. This Wednesday at six o'clock for a good time of fellowship. Also, next Sunday, I'm even more excited about this. We're going to have a baptism next Sunday. Eloise, my daughter, is going to be baptized. Uh, So join us for that next Sunday at at 11, our worship service here. Um, Also next Sunday, August 6th. Uh, at 6 p.m. in the evening, we're going to have a Southern Gospel singing group come in. Uh, they're out of Tennessee. They're making the rounds in the area, and they had an opening on that, August 6th, and so we snagged them up. And so they're Phillips and Banks. Uh, Rachel says they're really good. So she is the music musician in my house. I was like, I don't know if they're good or not, you know. Uh, but they're really good, and they come highly recommended from so, some of my pastor friends. They're singing around in churches in the area. And so... Put the invite out. I've texted some of my pastor friends and they're going to invite their churches today as well. Uh, so that's next Sunday, August 6th at 6 p.m. And uh, it's, it's free to attend. They are going to be taking up a love offering if you'd like to support their ministry. Uh, homecoming committee meeting August 7th it's Monday at 10 a.m. And then uh, next month we're going to have uh, a special business meeting August 27th uh, for a vote on for our budget and stuff. Um, we got a lot of good things in the order of worship today. Reading scripture, praying. We're going to be taking the Lord's Supper together today. Um, before we get into that, and I did want to call up uh, Norm and Cindy Fournier. Uh, they've been members with us. Come on up. Come on up. Come on. I warned you. I warned you ten minutes ago. You know. <laughs> uh, so they they've been with us uh, for a, a good bit now, and we've gotten to know and love them, and they've been able to serve and to be with our church family, and uh, they're going to be going to, to Ireland uh, this coming week. Uh, Cindy's got a, a job. Uh, her job's moving over there, and so they're going to be over there for about three years, um, but they assured me they're going to be coming back from time to time, and so we'll still see them again, but I just wanted to take this time to, to send them off and pray for them as they take this new journey and that they would be used by the Lord there in Ireland. So uh, let us pray for them. God, we thank you for Norm and Cindy, and we thank you for their lives and their faith in you and what they've meant to us as a church family and how they have prayed for us and loved us and supported the ministry. God, I just ask a special blessing on their lives and as they move and make this transition that you would cause everything to go smooth, smoothly and that they would trust in you every step of the way and that they would glorify you. They would be able to, to share the gospel. They would be able to find a group of believers there and to pray and to just continue your mission there. And God, we look forward to when they can uh, come back and visit with us and that we'll still be connected with them as they go. God, we, we pray these things in Jesus' name amen Amen. Thank thank you all right so we're going to have our call to worship uh roger's going to come up and and read revelation 5 6 through 10
2: all right the inspired word of god from revelations 5 6 through 10 Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls, filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth.
1: Good morning, church. Stand with us as we worship together. We're singing, I sing the mighty power of God, hymn 128. 10. Praise the Lord, the Almighty.
0: this time we'll have worship through prayer of reconciliation and forgiveness and preparation of the Lord's Supper. I'm going to have Miss Kathy Creech come and read our scriptures and pray for us.
3: 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gifts there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 27, 28, and 33. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat, and eat the bread and drink from the cup. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you that we have a place to come and worship you. Lord, if we have anything against our brothers and sisters, or if our brothers and sisters have anything against us, help us to reconcile and forgive one another. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: So we're taking the Lord's Supper today, and so I try to change it up a little bit. And I have raised and elevated the Lord's Table here so everyone can see it. I think a little bit better, and so to emphasize the importance of the Lord's Supper. Uh, So the Lord's Supper is not just something we do for the sake of tradition. That's not something that we just take lightly, but it's actually commanded by Jesus uh, to do. To in it's he says this do in remembrance of me. Uh, It has a rich symbolism. Of what we believe about Jesus and what he's done for us. Namely, it reminds us of the gospel, the good news, that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose again, that he ascended to heaven and that he will come again. But that's what it, it also unites us as the body of Christ, that we are coming together as a church family and we're eating the same bread, the same cup, and we're saying we believe in the same Lord Jesus. We believe that his death alone has saved us, and we are united in Christ. Right? That's what unites us. And so we, we are in one accord, we are united in faith. And Paul, as we just read, as Kathy just read, we need to take this seriously. He says in First Corinthians eleven twenty seven, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So we need to examine ourselves. He says, "Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup." So, in a in a few minutes, we're gonna have a, Rachel's gonna lead us in a song. It's it's the behold the lamb. It's a communion hymn. It's a really rich and beautiful song. Uh, to pay attention to the words of that, it tells us, it teaches us what the com- communion in Lord's supper is. And also during the time of uh, when we're singing, you can sing along if you if you know the song, if you practiced it but also have the, use the time to examine yourself. To ask God, is there something in my life, is there some sin in my life that I need to repent of? And is there something that I need to let go of? Uh, is, is there something I need to be reconciled with my brother or sister? Am I holding a grudge? Am I, am I seeking revenge on someone? And so we need to come, be right with the Lord before we take the Lord's Supper. Again, no one is perfectly righteous and we all have sin. And so we need to take this time to to remember that and to repent and confess to the Lord our sins. And we see the importance of being unified together as the body. That's why we emphasize being reconciled together because in verse 33 of 1 Corinthians 11, it says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. So if you haven't welcomed your brother, if you haven't welcomed your sister in love, if you're holding a grudge, if you have something that needs to be taken care of, we need, to take, we need to take care of that before the Lord. And it is, like we said, you know, what is the Lord's Supper? It is a, is a remembrance of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so if you don't believe in Jesus as your Savior, as your God, and as the deacons will pass uh, the elements of the bread and cup, just let the bread and the cup pass you at this time. And first, accept Jesus as your Savior. Um, and so it is the Lord's Supper is for believers. It is for those who have con- confessed their sin, who confess Jesus as their Lord, who have been born again by the Spirit through faith and have followed him in baptism, declaring your allegiance to him. So use this time again as the deacons serve the elements of the bread and the cup, use this time as a self-reflection, time of prayer, time of praising God for what he has done in Christ. And once they've passed out all the elements, we'll take the the, the elements together, showing our unity as a family of God. So let me pray for us. God, let us not take this moment lightly, but let us see the significance of what we are doing today. Let us see the significance of what you have done for us, that you died in our place that you rose again, that you ascended to heaven, you're coming back. God, that is our hope. That is our trust. God, we declare that to you, and we declare that to each other, and we declare that to the world in this moment. Help us be unified around Jesus. Help us to love one another as you have loved us. Amen. behold So first, we'll take the bread. As 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three says, I received from the Lord were also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the cup, First Corinthians 11:25, said in the same way, he also took the cup, and after supper and said, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this this time where we get to remember your death and your resurrection and your coming again. Help us find our hope in you and you alone. God, be with me as I open your word and, and proclaim it and teach it. Help it to be apt and fitting for the people today. Help me be clear. Help them believe what you have for us. God, we need you here. We need your spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. You guys gonna sit down here today? That's fine. I love to. Te- I'll, I'll preach for you right here. But I didn't. I didn't want to hold you up. I didn't want to hold you up. I got to mess with the deacons. They're great. I love. I love our our godly men and leaders of the church help me out in so many ways. We'll be in Psalm 149 today. We, this is our last Sunday of Summer in the Psalms. We've kind of gone from the very beginning, hitting each section of the Psalms, and we're all the way at the end, the last two Psalms today. And the title of today's message is Sing Like You Mean It. Sing Like You Mean It. I was talking to to Linda about this. I was like, She's like, is this, is this your title of your sermon? I was like, yeah, is that okay? Yeah, <laughs> You got any suggestions? No, it's great, it's good. it's good. Sing like you mean it, because that's really what it comes down to. That's what the main point of today is. It's nothing complicated. It's not rocket science. It's When we sing, when we worship, we should mean what we say. And if we mean what we sing, then that, will, uh, that is rooted in our belief, right? You, you, what you really believe about God. And so with two main points. The first point is, uh, is in the form of a question. Why don't we sing with excitement, joy, and emotion? Why do sometimes we do not do that? Why don't we sing with excitement and joy and emotion? Like, we, like maybe even you want to, or maybe you, we ought to. As we see in the Psalms, they sing with excitement, joy, and dancing, right? Why don't we do that? And the second, we'll look at how praise Praise, worship through song, can actually be be used in spiritual warfare. Praise as spiritual warfare. Okay, it's 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 more than just singing, right? It's, it's more than just going to a good concert. Okay, there's something spiritually happening. So it'll be in one, Psalm 149, and I think fitting for today's message and for the psalm, I want us to stand together. As I read. So if you can stand as I read, if you're able, in in one honor in God's word, and I think it's very fitting for Psalm 149 and 150. It says this Hallelujah! Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the faithful. Let Israel celebrate its maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing. Make music to him with the tambourine and the lyre, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the faithful celebrate in triumphal glory. Let them shout for joy on their beds. Let the exaltation of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands, inflicting vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples. Binding their kings with chains and their dignitaries with iron shackles. Crying out the judgment decreed against them. This honor is for all his faithful people. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for for his powerful acts. Praise him for his abundant greatness. Praise him with the blast of a trumpet. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and flute. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You may be seated. So, in these Psalms, we see how God's victories in the past can assure us of God's victories in the future. God has won so many victories in the Old Testament for his people, bringing them through battles, bringing them out of the Exodus, winning for them. In all of these Old Testament battles, the, this, this psalm of defeating enemies and defeating nations, all this looks forward to the ultimate defeat, the ultimate victory against sin against evil against Satan so that's, that will one day ultimately happen we'll be freed from our sinful nature we'll have glorified bodies we'll be made perfect in heaven we will no longer struggle with sin and temptation but as of right now as followers of Jesus we still struggle we still, we still fight but that's key that we fight that we press on that we trust that God will be victorious, that we can be victorious over sin. And because of all that, we have reason to praise God, to be excited, to have joy, because we can defeat sin and evil. We can work for good. And so if we are victorious, if Jesus was raised from the dead, then why do sometimes we sing as if Jesus is still in the tomb? Right? We sing as if we're defeated. But we have the victory in Jesus. So why don't we sing with excitement, and joy, and emotion? I think there's two main reasons I want to look at today. The first reason is God-focused. I think we have a wrong view of maybe of what God has done and who he is. The second focus is, is, is on ourselves. and We have a wrong view of man and what we're doing. We have maybe a wrong view of emotion Maybe. So first, the God reason why we don't sing for emotion. I mean, why we don't sing with excitement and, and joy and emotion. Look again at Psalm 149, verse 1. It says, hallelujah, praise God. It could be translated, praise Yahweh. Sing to the Lord a new song. And then how are they singing? Look down at verse 3. It says, let them praise his name with dancing. Watch out. This is a, we're in a Baptist church. i got to watch out. This is the word of God. I'm not making this up, right? You know, I think a lot of, we think, we see things, and over time, culture, they, they mess up good and godly things, right? Our culture has messed up dancing, where it becomes this, this secular thing. It, it becomes sexualized, even. And so, where we feel uncomfortable with even dancing in, in church, or dancing to God, we, a lot of us don't even have a category for that. Like, what does that even look like, right? And so, My point today is not to convince you to start dancing. I mean, if that's what the Lord's leading you to do, I'm not going to tell you to stop. My point is they worshiped God with joy and excitement, right? They, They were filled with emotion that they were dancing to the Lord. They were playing instruments. They were having the tambourine. They were having cymbals. I think all this shows that they were joyful. They were happy to praise the Lord. And this came out in their physical actions. This came out in how they sung and what they did. And so how can we get to that point? How, how, do, we, how do we sing with excitement and joy? First, I think we need to, we need to realize or rediscover, or for maybe for the first time, to realize the greatness of God, to really understand how great God is. It's kind of like this. You go to watch a sporting event, Whatever, pick your sport, baseball, soccer, whatever. There's a lot of highlights on baseball yesterday I was watching. And when someone hits a home run or someone someone saved, uh, they robbed a home run. They reached over their fence and caught the, the home run that would have been to win the game, right? Everybody in the stands, people watching on TV are excited. They jump up for joy. None of them were taught that, right? None of them were like, all right, guys, when they hit the home run, make sure you stand up and raise your arms and yell. Like, no, that just naturally happens, right? You're excited, and you scream out for joy. You shout. Everyone recognized the greatness of what just happened in that sporting event, okay? So everyone recognizes what happened. So we need to recognize what God has done. We need to recognize who God is. If you're, in, if you're coming together, we're singing and we're praising. If we're singing especially songs of joy, and, and you don't feel excited, you don't feel that joy, perhaps it's because you have missed the greatness of the one we're worshiping. God is our maker. God is our king. Look in verse 2. It says, Let Israel celebrate its maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Now, this was talking about the people in the Old Testament, but looking forward to the New Testament pe- people of God. Jesus c- brings people from, from all nations into his family. God may, is the maker of everything. God is the maker of everyone. He created it all. He made the stars. He made the sun. He made the moon. Sometimes as you get older, the temptation will to be to put God in kind of your own little box. Like, you have God figured out. You know everything about him. He's very small. He becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. But you can't forget how great God is. We cannot forget his power. Just think about the sun. This is the greatest thing, that, the image of God creating our sun. Not even talking about the millions and billions of other suns and stars, right? But just think about the God creating our sun. That's millions of miles away. I don't know. I didn't look it up. It's a long ways away, right? And it causes so much heat. You know this week, right? Like, it's been hot. And God created that. And if it was just a little, like a little bit closer to the earth, we would be even hotter. And we, it's just like we don't even want to go outside right now. So but God is more powerful than the sun. That's just hard to imagine. And the same God who created the sun created you. Not only created you, he knows you. He knows every thought you have, which can kind of be kind of scary sometimes. But there's an intimacy there. There's a relationship to be had with the God that knows you. And it's amazing to further think about that the God that created you, that God created everything, he actually wants you to know him, right? He's not hiding from us. He wants us to know him. He sent Jesus into the world so that we could get a clear picture of who God is. Jesus would say this in John fourteen nine. Jesus, being fully God and fully man, could say in John 14 9, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. You see Jesus, you see the Son, you see God the Son, you have seen God the Father. They are one, they are both fully God. God wants you to be known, God wants you to to know Him, He wants you to recognize His greatness. And if you recognize it truly, if you really see him for greatness, you, will, you can't help but to respond in worship. We also see the greatness of God, not only in that he created all things. Not only do we see that God, the greatness of God in the person of Jesus, who lived the perfect, sinless life. We see the greatness of God in that he sacrificed himself for us. God The creator of all sacrificed himself for me and you who did not deserve it. We sinned. We deserve punishment. He took our place. And because he he did that, he makes us into his people. Because look back in verse 2. It says, let Israel celebrate its maker. Because God created his people, Israel. In the same way, God creates his people, the church, through Jesus. We become part of the family. We become part of the children of God through faith in Jesus. God is the maker of his people. God called his people out of idolatry. He called his people out of sin, into victory over sin, into salvation. He called us into the the kingdom of God. We read this last week, 1 Peter 2.9 says, you, he's talking to the church, those who believe in Jesus, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what God has done for each and every one of us who trust in Jesus. He's called you out of darkness of sin into his light so that we can praise him. In verse 10, just to remember, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. In other words, once you were a, a rebel of God, you were in, in sin, but now you are a part of the people of God. You have received mercy now. Okay? And if we truly understand that, that will lead us to praise God. That will lead us to worship God with excitement and joy because of what God has done for us. And so if you have trouble singing with joy with your church family, if you have trouble singing with joy the praises of God, remember who God is and what he's done. And so that's the God focus. Let's turn to the the man focus here. A second possible reason people may have a hard time singing with emotion and excitement is that they just may have a difficulty expressing emotion in general. Okay? It may not be a, a sin problem or a lack of understanding or a lack of recognition, but they have never been taught or maybe have never seen or maybe have never even thought about uh, how to express emotion and what we do with that. So they may feel joy- joyous. They may be celebrating who God is and what he's done, but they're doing so inwardly. Okay? They're doing so inwardly. There, There's people like that where you would talk. I talk to people all the time, and I would talk to them, and I would leave the conversation. I was like, I don't know if I just if they liked me or they hated me after that, you know, they're just like blank like staring at me. I'm like, I'm going to assume they like me. you know? <laughs> like some people just do not express their emotion and like on, you cannot tell what they're thinking. But I think a lot of times, you know, even from my own experience, it's not that I don't express my emotion because I can think of times where I express emotion. And I think for men, this is a probably pretty common is that we are really easy to express um, uh, the anger, our, our emotion of anger, right? We, you, if you're angry, everybody in your family knows you're angry, right? <laughs> like, we don't have to, we don't have to hide. It's, it's, not, it's hard to hide that. So I think sometimes I have, I have actually limited my experience, my, my experience of joy and celebration. I've kind of regulated that and brought that down a notch because I was afraid of what people might think of me, right? I was afraid of people, I'd be like, they'd be like, that guy's a little weird. What, he's faking it. He's just trying to get attention. You know, just all these things come to my head of reasons why not to express emotion, right? The fear of man should not limit my expression of joy. The fear of man should not ex- limit my expression of celebration and worship. And especially considering that we are a church family. We're a family. We should be able to be comfortable around each other. We, are, we should be able to sing and express ourselves. And God wants us to worship him with our whole selves. We've been talking about this. This has been a, a big topic in Sunday school today. We're talking about God wants all of us. And we, 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 God just doesn't want us on a Sunday from 11 to 12. He wants us throughout the whole week, right? He wants our whole lives. And part of our whole lives includes our emotions, how we feel, our excitement. He wants us to worship with all of who we are, right? Sometimes I think we over-spiritualize things to the point that we we don't physically, what we do physically doesn't matter. But things that we do physically matter to God. Uh, I mean, we just took the Lord's Supper, a physical representation that Jesus wanted us to do, to remember his death and resurrection. Right? God cares about us physically. He's, when we die, we're, our spirits are going to go to heaven, but we're going to have a, a time where our bodies are resurrected, right? We're not going to live bodiless forever. We're going to have resurrected bodies. So God cares about our bodies and what we do. And so I think it's nat, we need to reconnect what we do physically in our worship. He created his body and spirit. The two go together. So like we said, dancing here in, the, in this passage is a natural expression of joy, I think in a real way, we are limiting our joy in the Lord by limiting our expressions of worship to him. Not only for ourselves, I think you you should be free, not fear other people. You should be free to express your emotions for yourself, but also consider those around you. Consider others. Think of the benefit for them. Like we had vacation Bible school two weeks ago, and we had the kids come up on stage, remember? And what was the song? Go, go, go. And it was like, right, like it, they were in it, right? They were jumping off the stage almost, right? And that, was, that brought me excitement. I talked to other people. that like, They love that. They, 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 they see the kids' excitement. And I was like, it's was, it was so true. But why don't we act like that every Sunday, right? What's stopping us from singing like that? Nothing, right? We love to see the kids excited, but as you grow older, you become more reserved. And, you know, there is a point of we want to be reverent. We want to be respectful, and it's not fun and games to worship God, but we can be joyful and celebrate what God has done for us and who he is. And so I'm I'm encouraged when I see people worshiping, when I see them physically worshiping, right? So we can express that expression, that physical expression of worship, whatever that looks like, raising your hands, singing loudly, uh, even dancing, right? There's something we could learn from that. They may not be singing the harmony, right? They may not be singing in the right note or the right key. They may be singing too fast or too slow. But are they praising God, right? Are they praising God for what he's done? They may not be that expressive. They may be very reserved. But you can tell they're singing from their heart. They're singing what they really believe. And they really, really worship God. I feel like a lot of us are like the dad in the movie Elf. Have you all seen the movie Elf? Um, funny movie. Near the end of the movie, people have to sing with Christmas spirit to get Santa's sleigh to fly, right? And at the end of the movie, the dad, they're all, the whole New York is singing, singing, you know, Santa Claus is coming to town. Uh, but the dad is like just in there lip singing, right? And his son notices And he's like, Dad, you're not even singing. And, you know, he calls him out on it. You're just moving your lips. You're not really singing. And his dad's like, what's the big deal, you know? And right at the last minute, he finally sings, and the Santa sleigh goes up into the air because he had enough Christmas spirit. But I think a lot of us are like that. A lot of us are not really singing. We're just moving our lips, right? We're not really singing. As a part of God's family, as part of his church, God has made you a priest. You have responsibility. God has called you to worship him through song. Your fellow members need to see and hear you sing. It is important. They need that encouragement. They see people like Kay Leffingwell. Go has gone through pain and hardship, but she continually sings with joy for what God has done for her. Right? Hearing someone sing the truth of God could teach you just as much as any sermon. We need each other. We need to sing together. We need to hear people like Dickie Bryant shout for the Lord. I can hear him from way over here. It's amazing. I love it. We get to see everyone singing. I really have a good seat in the house sitting on the front. I get to hear the people behind me. Dwayne's a great singer. Joe Seals, usually sitting back here. He's a great singer. I love it. From time to time, I look back. I get to look to the back of the church and see who's singing. I really feel the the people on the worship team up here. They have the best seat in the house. They get to see everybody singing every week. You know, it's great to be encouraged to see people singing. Ephesians five nineteen actually commands us to sing to one another. This isn't just for ourselves. We're not worshiping um, just for ourselves to God, but it's a a, a together aspect. It's Ephesians five nineteen 19 says this, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's a, there's a place where we're talking together in that, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. And I think key here is we've been talking a lot today about expressing ourselves in worship. What does that look like, right? Not having a fear of man, expressing your joy. We see people shouting for joy, raising their hands, dancing, using instruments, but these things are not to be forced. These, these things are not to be manufactured, right? These things are not commanded to us, but they are available to us. I think it is good for us to sing with all of ourselves, emotions included. I was at a church conference uh, a few years ago. Man, I'm getting old. It's like 10 years ago now. Goodness. And they had really good, rich biblical songs, and I really loved them. Some of them I knew and I was singing. Me and my friends were singing. It was a great time of worship. Then after the the session was over, uh ladies behind us came up to me and was like, Hey, how's it going? Is everything okay with you guys? Are you is there something we can pray for? They're like, yeah, we're we're great. That was a great worship time. And they're like, Well, we noticed you you weren't raising your hands in worship. Is everything okay? And we're like, Yeah, we're this is just how we worship, you know. We just we were singing out with from with our hearts to the Lord. We weren't dancing or raising our hands, but we were really singing. But they they came from a different tradition where, like, if you weren't raising your hands, like something was wrong, and right. So we can worship differently, and we told them that we loved the songs; they were beautiful and true. Uh, but we were just singing from our heart without raising our hands. That's just not something we wanted to do at that time, right? So I think there's a valid warning to people. Who are expressive in worship, if that's your natural tendency, if that's what you grew up with, if that's what you're doing, there's a warning not to condemn other people for not worshiping the same as you, right? They could be just as full of the Spirit as you with singing more reserved. Because what matters ultimately, as it says here, is that we're worshiping God with our heart, that it's genuine, right? Is it genuine? Because you can have a lot of people that worship with their hands raised and running and round and dancing. That it's not genuine. I'd rather have someone genuinely worship God from their heart and not be expressive than the other way around and some fake it, right? It's also important to know, as I was reading this book on worship this week, Harold M. Best is his name. He teaches us in his book called Music Through the Eyes of Faith. Really good book if you want to check it out. Music Through the Eyes of Faith. He says this, Being emotionally moved by music is not the same as being spiritually or morally shaped by it. So being emotionally moved is not the same thing as being spiritually or morally moved, right? Because you can listen to any secular song and it can bring you to tears, right? Or bring you to joy. But if it doesn't do something with your relationship with God or your relationship with other people, or teach you something morally, emotion by itself is not the determining factor. We must not mistake an emotional response for a spiritual response. Instead, our focus should be on the truth of God's words, the truth of the songs, and we should be shaped by them, which can also lead to an emotional response. Again, don't hear me say emotion doesn't have any place in worship, that's a major part of the sermon today is to show your emotion, be expressive, have joy, celebrate, but it's not the end all be all, right? Harold Best goes on to write The issue is not whether the music has merit or power, but whether the worshipers are making an offering. If they can't worship until the right music comes by, you ever, you ever feel that way? I know that's a temptation. Like, well, they didn't sing my song. They didn't sing the song I liked. I'm not really going to worship today. If you're waiting on the right music, then they are essentially preferring the gift over the giver. They're preferring the gift of music and the right song over the giver God. Instead of making God's presence contingent on the quality or the effect of the gift, he makes this point, music and art are not the Messiah, right? Music and art are not the Messiah. They are gifts. Music and art are gifts from God. We do not worship them. Music and art are not the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is always to be free to direct our worship, whether the music moves us or not. Right? You could have a worshipful song to God if every note is out of place, right? If, if the words are, right, if, you, if you didn't get every single word, but as long as the words are true, right? If the, if the quality is not there, you can still worship God. The Spirit is always to be free to direct our worship, whether the music moves us or not, behind all of the secondary movings of music, art, drama, dance, architecture, atmosphere, and environment. All of those things are good gifts, right? The primary mover, he says, whose quiet call and gentlest reminders speak louder than our most elaborate art pieces. Sometimes the Spirit can speak to you in the silence, in the quiet. Again, my main point today is consider whether we truly recognize the greatness of God and what He has done. Do you truly consider that? Do you truly recognize that? If you truly recognize who God is, you won't be able to keep from worshiping Him in joy and celebration. It's not something forced, but it's a response of who God is and what He's done. Because we are celebrating, we are worshiping, we are praising God. Because look in verse 4, what he's done. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. So if you're part of God's family through faith in Christ, you have been accepted by the God of the universe. He actually says here, takes pleasure in being with you. Right? He not only loves you, but he actually likes you. Right? We saw a lot of times we think that God is just merely accepting us like, uh, I, I heard someone say, you know, a lot of people view God as like if you were to die and be go, going to heaven, you're standing at the, the metaphorical gates of heaven, and God's like, well, you, you made the list, you know, come on in. Ah, like, oh, you barely made it, you know. That's how we kind of sometimes feel. Like we feel like we're, we're sinful, we struggle, we feel like God doesn't like us, we feel distant, but that's not what, who God is. That's not how God relates to us. In Christ, you're 100% forgiven. You're 100% adopted into the family. He loves you. He takes pleasure in you. When you die and you're at the gates of heaven, He's running towards you, going to embrace you with a hug, right? He loves you. He takes pleasure in His people. God will not accept you on the basis of your goodness, but on the basis of Jesus' goodness in your place. Jesus died in your place. All you have to do is be humble. Humble yourself. Admit, I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner, I need salvation. And and that's who he says. He he says he adorns the humble with salvation. You can't be saved if you don't realize and admit and confess that you're messed up, that you're a sinner, that you've disobeyed God. Only then can you begin to truly, that's, that's the beginning of repentance, of turning from your sin and turning to God. That's how we receive salvation, to trust in God to forgive us. And because of that, because God takes pleasure in you, because he has given you salvation, we can shout for joy. Look in verse 5. Let the faithful celebrate in triumphal glory. Let them shout for joy on their beds. So in Christ, you are victorious over sin. You are victorious over death. You are victorious over temptations, victorious over demonic powers. You have reason to sing and shout and celebrate. Even when you lie down on your beds at the end of the day, consider all that God has done for you. You have a reason to shout. Now, you may want to warn your fellow housemates if you're lying down, hey, I'm going to shout tonight before I go to sleep. Just a warning because God has been good to me. I'm shouting for joy. This idea of victory over the enemies of God, victory over sin and death, they're further described in the following verses. And we'll look at this, this is our second section, praise as spiritual warfare. Praise as spiritual warfare. Look in verse 6. He says, let the exaltation of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands. And I'll hit on this verse a little bit more in a few minutes. But just notice the connection here between the praise of God and a weapon, right? I I think there is a connection here between the praising of God and a weapon against God's enemies. We'll we'll get that in a second. But this summer, we've, we've seen a, quite a few Psalms that depict victory over God's enemies, right? And sometimes that can be uncomfortable. How do we deal with that? What does that mean? We're supposed to love our enemies, right? And I think the best way to think about it is, in the Old Testament, they're looking at the physical enemies of God, which are portraying, which are depicting what's behind those things, the spiritual enemies of God, sin and evil. And the New Testament makes it clear who we're fighting. We're not fighting fellow humans. We're not fighting countries and nations were fighting spiritual battles spiritual enemies. Uh, Ephesians 6:11 we learned about this in Vacation Bible School uh this week uh, last week as well. Ephesians 6:11 right? Remember kids put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil, right? And so what are the schemes of the devil? What are we arming against? It's a spiritual battle. During Vacation Bible School, Peyton came up here, and she's like, "I'm going to get strong," and she's like working out like to defeat defeat the enemies. They're like, "That's not what we're talking about. It's great to work out and be healthy. Me and Demetrius need to do that, right? We need to work out, Uh, but we need to be more. We need to be focused on spiritual strength because look, who were we fighting against in verse 12? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's mean like not other people, not physical, you know, battles." It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers of darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. That's what we're fighting against. Okay? As, a, as, as a church, as Christians, we are in a battle, we are in a war. Right? So while Jesus defeated sin and death and Satan in his resurrection, he defeated them, right? And he has assured us victory of salvation as well. While we are shouting for joy because God has won, God has provided us with victory, we're still fighting. It's the already not yet. It's Our victory is assured. We know how the war will end, but we're still in the battle, right? So through Jesus' death and resurrection, and we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, in us if you believe in Jesus, we have the power to defeat sin, the power to defeat temptation, the power to defeat demonic influences. So while the Old Testament is talking about God's people defeating physical enemies, Again, I think all those were pointing to the greater enemy of sin, Satan, the spiritual forces at play. The Old Testament was just seeing the like the surface level of what's going on underneath. And we, when we get uh, to the New Testament, it really picks up on what we're really fighting. And so when we read in Psalm 149, verse 7, these physical battles, think of how we're fighting these spiritually. So it says in verse 7, it says, inflicting vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, binding their kings with chains and their dignitaries with iron shackles, carrying out the judgment decreed against them. This honor is for all his faithful people. Hallelujah. So God has decreed the judgment on sin and evil, demonic forces. And guess what? He's enlisted you in his army. This is for all his faithful people. And he says, this is an honor. This is honoring for you. This is a, gives you responsibility, authority. You have a, a place to play. It's not just for the pastor to battle, right? It's not just for the deacons to battle. It's for every one of us to be a part of God's army fighting against sin, temptation, evil in the world. So how is a Christian, how as God's chosen people, do we fight these spiritual battles? You can be like, yeah, Josh, I love this idea of fighting against sin and evil and temptation. But what do we do? What does that look like practically? There's so many things. A a, a lot of the scriptures, when you start thinking in these terms, can help you fight your spiritual battles. I think most of the Bible is gearing us up for that. But I just want to point out uh, a couple verses here, um, mainly just one verse here in 2 Corinthians. It starts with us individually. Okay? It starts with looking at yourself. It starts with battling sin in your own life. Okay, It starts with fighting the demons in your own life, so to speak. That could be literal. I was talking to a guy about that who has experienced uh, fighting against demonic possession with people this past week. And so when we read about demonic and spiritual things happening in the New Testament, that stuff is real. Um, and So we need to be aware of that. Um, but what we see here in 2 Corinthians 10.3... He says, although we live in the flesh, that means we have physical bodies, right? We do not wage war according to the flesh. So the same point we we're making in, in Ephesians. He says, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments in every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So one thing that you can do to fight your spiritual battles is to depend on the truth of God's word and preach that to yourself, tell yourself that, and specifically here, taking every thought captive to Christ, to obey Christ. Because a lot of times, the biggest enemy that we have is ourselves. A lot of the times, the biggest enemy we have is ourselves. And a lot of times, the, the person that talks to you the most and the person that tells you the most lies is not your friend, not your parents, not your sister, not anybody. The person that talks to you the most is yourself. And a lot of times we tell lies to ourselves. We lie to ourselves and say, don't raise your hand, that guy's going to make fun of you. <laughs> right? Don't. Uh, if you put your phone down and you don't look at that image, you won't get joy. If you don't work late and you don't put in 80 hours a week, you're never going to be successful. Don't worry about neglecting your family, right? That'll, they'll be fine. We, hear, we have lies to ourselves all the time. We're talking about worship this past week uh, on Wednesday. And one of the points we talked about this past Wednesday is how to increase our congregation's active participation in singing. How do we sing better as a congregation? And one of the points we talked about was having the pastor lead that. Like having, looking at the pastor as an example. And for me, I've been thinking about worship through song for a long time now, for a couple years, and how it's important and how the congregation does it as a whole and how the pastor leads that. And I've watched pastors lead that well, and I've watched pastors not lead in that well. Some pastors would be, you know, in their green room rehearsing their sermon while the songs are being sung. I'm like, no, he's part of the church. He needs to be singing too, right? And so, and I've tried to do that. I've tried to model that. And so I've been working to model and express that. And in in that discussion, I realized... I was not modeling, I was not leading, by example, as as good as I thought I was, right? Because we talked about it, and some and some were like, I didn't even notice that you were singing singing as much as, as you maybe should have, or I didn't notice that you were having these efforts. My my efforts were not noticed, right? And so I felt bad about that. And so all these lies come into my head. I'm like, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm failing as a pastor. You know, it's like, what am I doing? And, you know, and then are, are you start to see, like, I want, uh, you try to defend yourself and all these things, and pride comes up. You're like, no, that's not right. You know, I'm good. I'm, I, I do good at this. But I need to realize, I need to realize, take a moment and think and take this thought captive and say, no, I'm not leading as maybe I should. There's always room for improvement. And, no, I'm not terrible. I'm doing the best I can and, and preach to myself that God loves me, God knows my heart, God knows what I'm doing, and I can improve on this. I need to be able to take criticism. I need to be able to do that and try to lead better. So it's important to keep going back to that, to the point of telling us, telling ourselves, preaching to ourselves what is true, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. So that's one way we take our thoughts captive. And we all need to call out lies we tell ourselves. We need to hold ourselves to the truth, hold to what Jesus has commanded us, and there's so many other ways to fight spiritually. You know these. It's the Sunday School answers, but we take we need to take them more seriously. Uh, praying, reading God's word, praying for others, teaching others, hearing God's word taught, sharing the good news with others can be a spiritual warfare. That that, that is one of the biggest spiritual warfare's I think is going on uh, in in our church and just in in Western society is. This timidness, the, the, the fear of man to share the good news with somebody. Uh, I was at the park uh, yesterday, and uh, m- there was this opportunity that I could share the gospel with this lady. But every lie from the devil was coming to me, like, oh, she's going to think you're weird. You know, this is weird. You know, it's just like all these things. I was afraid. I was the, For someone who speaks in public to 70 people every Sunday, I was nervous to say hello, right? Like, that's 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 spiritual attacks, really. I think it is, and so. But I got the gumption to say hello, and I asked her if I could pray for. Her. She didn't. She didn't want prayer, um, but, and I had the opportunity to kind of go into the gospel. But I just kind of like, well, you know, I invited her to church and gave her my my business card, which is, which is something, but not as strong as I wanted to be. You know, as Tim, we're, we're 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 training, we're practicing, and we're trying to share the gospel. We're trying to get to the gospel, right? Get to the gospel. And I didn't get to it. Um, so there's always room for improvement, but it goes back to trusting in God, preaching the gospel to ourselves. But that is one way that we can fight spiritual battles: sharing the gospel, humbling ourselves, really doing what God says to do in the Bible, right? We, you can read all day, but are you doing what the Bible says to do? That's really what it comes down to as well. The Bible is basically our marching orders for spiritual battle. And one of the key weapons of the battle that we see in Psalm 149 one Psalm 150 is actually the spiritual weapon of praise. The spiritual weapon of praise, praise, our weapon can actually be is closely connected back in verse six. Again, look at it. It says, "Let the exaltation of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands." As some scholars even they translate the Hebrew, this uh, co- connection, ver- this connecting, uh, coordinating conjunction here, and as a explanative, like it, it says the second clause ex, is explaining the first clause. So some people would translate it like this, let the exaltation of God be in their mouths and let that be a double edged sword in their hands. So it's like your praise is your sword. Your praise could be your sword. Well, this is not like a definite translation that you no, know, no modern translation does that. Um, they don't make, make it that specific. I think this idea is true. I think that worship is a weapon against evil. I think that's certainly true. Just think about it like this. Satan would do everything he could to keep you from worshiping God. Right? Sa- the enemy does not want you to worship God. Satan would do everything he could to keep you from other Christians. He doesn't, want to see you- he doesn't want you to see other Christians singing from their heart. He doesn't want you to be encouraged by that. He wants you to be isolated and stay alone. Satan would do everything he could to let us dwell on the lies instead of the truth of what God has done for us. So, as we close today, I want us to fight against the schemes of the devil with praise. Let us stand again, and I'm going to read Psalm, let's read Psalm 150 together. So let's stand, Psalm 150, and let's read it together if you're able. And after we read, we're going to to praise God through song. So let's read together, Psalm 150, 1 through 6. Hallelujah. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His powerful acts. Praise Him for His abundant greatness. Praise Him with a blast of a trumpet. Praise Him with a harp and lyre. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and flute. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Praise him with clashing symbols. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's continue standing and praising God through song. If you guys have anything you want to talk about or anything mentioned in the sermon about Jesus and your relationship, uh, baptism, member of a church or Lord's Supper, anything, uh, we'll be having a short business meeting afterward. But come and stay afterward and I'll talk to you about that or this week. So let's continue praising God through song.
1: the splendor our God, sing with me, how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. You are dismissed. Not yet?
0: We're going to have Gene come up and do the uh, prayer for generosity, and then we'll be dismissed.
4: <laughs> I thought I was getting out of that. 2 <laughs> <laughs> Corinthians 9, 6 through 9. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly out of compulsion, since God gives, loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." Lord, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you for the time of worship and gathering together and the sermon. Lord, help us to remember to sing and make music with our hearts to you and to truly recognize who you are. Let us have the victory and the shout for joy. Amen.
0: All right, yeah, you guys are dismissed. Stay around for the business meeting if you're a member, and I will see you all next time. Amen.